Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Short Tales, a series of short stories written and read by me, Damien Robb. We'll get to this episode's story shortly, but first, I want you to imagine you are walking down a street. Traffic passes you, there's a chill to the air, and a nearby dumpster smells of the rotting garbage it holds. None of this bothers you, however, because you are not you. You are buried somewhere at the back of your own mind, simply watching. Someone else is controlling your body. Someone else is acting and talking and moving in your place. You are having the day off. Okay, you ready? Good. This episode's story is entitled, Someone Else. Sienna woke that morning as someone else. She didn't know who that someone was, but it wasn't her. The body was the same, but the mind, or at least part of it, was not. The normal Sienna, who usually ruled the roost, was somewhere else, somewhere towards the back, watching and aware, but otherwise quiet. Happy or resigned, or a third emotion that was some combination of the former two, to let the new her, the someone else, be in charge today. Sienna watched as the someone else stood her body up and walked it toward the bathroom. They stopped in the hallway to straighten a photo of Sienna and Robin in Norway, the one where they stood unsmiling in an antiquated pose under the bloom of the northern lights, pretending they were in an old-timey photo. It was silly and one of her favourite photos of the pair of them. If she had needed further proof that someone had taken over her body, this would have been it, as Sienna had noted the crooked photo frame for weeks, but done nothing about it. The someone else smiled at the correction, and moved into the bathroom. She stripped out of Sienna's pyjamas and turned on the shower. As she waited for the water to warm, the someone else whistled. Sienna never whistled. She hated the habit. There was a man in her office that constantly whistled and it drove Sienna crazy. She always purposely closed the door to her office extra loud when he walked by to let her know her frustration. To date, the message had not been received, or the man simply didn't care, for he continued his whistling ways. Sienna considered trying to reclaim her body from this someone else, slam the proverbial office door in this other her's face for the crime of whistling without consent, but her thoughts paused as she recognised the tune. It was by an English singer-songwriter she and Robin both loved. Back when they had first started dating, they had spontaneously driven down to Geelong to see him perform in a dingy pub. The night had been both intimate and spellbinding, and if Sienna ever needed a song to cheer her up, she always chose this one. She pulled back from the urge to retake her body, and instead, as the someone else stepped into the shower and started washing, Sienna whistled along with her from somewhere inside her head. After washing and drying, the someone else dressed Sienna in clothes she hadn't worn for years. Clothes that were from her slightly younger days, when her style had been bolder with an alternative, slightly lumberjack vibe. 
She checked Sienna's phone and found a message from her friend, Rose, inviting her to lunch and a missed call from her mother. The someone else called Sienna's mother back and had a quick chat with her. From the small place in the back of her mind, Sienna heard her mother speak with concern in her voice. It never took much for Sienna's mother to become concerned. A single missed call could set her off. The someone else spoke in a cheery manner, explaining that of course she was fine, everything was great. Sienna's mother, if anything, sounded more concerned by the end of the conversation, but the someone else didn't seem bothered. She then messaged Rose back, telling her she was up for meeting for lunch, and suggested their regular cafe. The someone else wrote a note for Robin, who had already gone into work despite it being a Saturday, explaining she was going out for lunch, stuck it to the fridge and picked up Sienna's handbag. She walked to the front door but stopped when she saw a piece of paper on the floor, an electricity bill. The someone else picked it up, placed it on the hallway dresser, and left. As the someone else walked her body to the tram stop, Sienna tried to figure out who it was that had taken her body. She assumed they must be female by the way they deftly handled her wardrobe, and they certainly seemed to have knowledge of the people in her life. She supposed she should be panicking that she'd basically woken up in an episode of The Twilight Zone, one whose title included the word body snatchers, but instead she felt calm. If anything, she was happy to let someone else take over her life for a while, and this someone else seemed to be doing a fine job so far, except for the whistling. When they arrived at the cafe, Rose was already waiting for her at their usual table by the window. She stood as soon as she saw Sienna, and with her eyebrows raised like a pet giving puppy dog eyes, gave her a big hug. The someone else returned the hug with a large smile. It's so good to see you, she told Rose. You too. I didn't know if this would be okay, considering, Rose said. Yeah, of course, the someone else said, taking a seat. I'm always happy to have an excuse for brunch. Your company I could give or take. Rose didn't reply to the joke with her usual series of escalating insults like she normally would. Instead, she took Sienna's hand and gave her a purse-lipped smile. You just tell me what you need, okay? Rose said. Okay, the someone else said with confusion in her voice. Eggs, a hash brown, and maybe for you to stop holding my hand? Rose let go with a small nod. Normality. Okay, I can do that, Rose said. Thanks, the someone else responded, still with that note of confusion in her voice. Despite Rose's promise of normality, she continued acting odd for the whole lunch, Sienna noted. Was it because she knew Sienna's body had been taken over? Was she somehow involved? Or had she likewise been taken over? That might explain the cryptic comments and disturbingly calm speaking voice. Either way, Sienna was happy to let the someone else deal with her. A few more days passed with the someone else still in control. Sienna learned more about her in that time, including that the someone else was annoyingly positive, had a habit of winking at people, and enjoyed sending Robin flirty messages. He'd left for a conference a day earlier and was no doubt enjoying the interaction, but still, Sienna found it audacious considering she was messaging someone else's boyfriend with somebody else's body. What Sienna didn't learn was how or why the someone else had taken over her body. On Sunday, Sienna fell asleep with those questions still buzzing around the small part of her head she still owned. When she woke Monday morning... A new someone else was in charge. Sienna felt her eyes open. The new someone else sighed angrily, seemingly annoyed at the very concept of being awake. Sienna knew that the original someone else was gone, although she couldn't have told you how she knew, just that her body was now possessed by someone far grumpier. It was like she had taken an overnight bus that had swapped drivers while she slept, and then just kept on driving with her none the wiser. Except disturbingly, in this analogy, she was the bus. The more she thought about it, the more Sienna thought it rude to not even confer with her about the change. She knew they were body snatchers and all, but a tap on the shoulder and a little sorry to wake you but we're changing drivers now would have been nice. 
Sienna found herself angry at the situation, and she wasn't the only one. This new her seemed to be made of anger. She kept Sienna's body in bed for another half an hour, repeatedly sighing angrily at the idea of having to get up. Finally, she looked at the time on her phone. The screen displayed three missed calls from her mother and several messages from friends, all of which the new someone else ignored. Finally, she kicked up the covers and dropped her feet to the floor. She went to the shower, and rather than whistle, she swore loudly when the water wasn't immediately hot. Sienna was far from impressed with this new someone else. It was like a teenager had taken over her body. That's who this new person most reminded her of, her at a younger age. An age when she had defined herself as metal despite not really liking the music. But it allowed her to wear a lot of black and hide her burgeoning insecurity slash teenage confusion behind a sullen and rather unpleasant attitude. She'd even briefly acquired a stereotypical overage boyfriend, one who was 22, and had seemed to her 16-year-old mind like the coolest guy on the planet. He rolled his own cigarettes, called her beautiful constantly, didn't have a curfew despite still living at home, and drove his own car. A skill that was somehow unbelievably impressive, despite the fact it was shared by her parents and just about every other adult she knew. Of course, by the time she reached 22, she'd come to know that any guy who still hung around a high school at that age and dated the girls within was about as far from cool as a person could get. Luckily, it had only taken her until her final year of high school to realise that. If she hadn't, things could have gone very differently for her. And that was what was beginning to worry her about this new someone else. That they might ruin things until she could get her life back into her own hands. Or just her hands back into her own hands. Robin had gone into work early that morning, for which Sienna was grateful. He was undeniably a patient man, possibly the most patient man she'd ever met, but she didn't want him to have to deal with the consequences of this new, angsty other her in charge. She'd only ever seen Robin get angry once over the course of their whole relationship, and had even been with her. It had been because, fuck off, Sienna heard her voice yell. She realised that someone else had finished the shower, dried and dressed in her work clothes. That could be a problem. Having this new irate and irrational her show up to work was unlikely to be a good idea. The someone else held Sienna's phone in her hand and gave a guttural scream of frustration that Sienna knew would leave her voice hoarse if she ever regained it. Apparently, the influx of messages on Sienna's phone had been enough to set her off. Sienna tried to look down at the phone to see what all the new messages were in regards to, but a wall of black slammed down between her and her vision. Sienna did the mental equivalent of blinking to refresh her sight, but it didn't work. Somehow, this someone else had blocked her vision from her. How dare she? It was one thing to take over somebody's body, but to not let them even experience the basic element of sight while you did so was another thing altogether. From behind the wall of black, Sienna could feel her arm rise and drop rapidly as though someone else threw her phone against the wall. She heard the crash, then the thud as it fell to the floor. A second later, her sight was restored. Sure enough, on the floor in the corner of the room lay her phone. She could tell by the illumination against the wall that the screen was still on, thankfully, but couldn't make out much more beyond that. Sienna was furious now. She didn't know if she could communicate with this someone else and tell them off, but she knew she was certainly going to give it a try. Hey, Sienna cried mentally, I don't know who you are, but you have no right to smash my things. Or take over my body for that matter. The second one's probably more important, actually. The point is, how dare you? If she heard, she gave no sign. She picked up Sienna's handbag and walked to the front door. She stopped to look at the electricity bill on the dresser, then picked it up and sneered at the piece of paper as though it was the most offensive thing she had ever seen. In a few quick movements, she ripped it up, dropped the torn pieces to the floor and left the house. As the someone else stepped her body through the doors of the four-storey brick building, Sienna wavered between feeling apprehensive and enraged. 
She'd rallied internally against the someone else the whole tram ride in, to no effect, and now the storm front that had taken over her body was entering her workplace. If you get me fired, I'm going to be so... Sienna said before trailing off. She did so for four reasons. One, she couldn't think of another synonym for angry that she hadn't already used on the way over there. Two, she knew that telling someone who was already angry that you're angry was unlikely to have any effect. Three, it was becoming increasingly obvious that the someone else couldn't hear her. And four, the someone else had just hit her boss in the face with her handbag. It wasn't an attack, necessarily. Her boss, Margaret, had been bending over to fix her shoe in the lobby when the someone else walked past. It could have merely been an accident, except Sienna knew the someone else had purposely positioned herself in such a way that her handbag and Margaret's face were sure to meet. "'Oh!' exclaimed Margaret in shock. "'Oh!' the someone else said, surliness dripping from her voice. "'Sorry!' Sienna cringed. Margaret was a nice, well-meaning person, and as bosses go, she was one of the better ones. She was also the slowest speaker Sienna had ever met. And she wasn't just the slowest speaker, but the softest. She spoke in a barely audible drawl that required intense concentration to both listen to and avoid shouting at. While she liked Margaret, most of the time Sienna battled an inner desire to either shout speak up or talk faster whenever she spoke to her. She knew with a horrible awareness that the someone else wouldn't have such qualms. Sienna... She said, What are you doing here today? Well, the someone else said with an exaggerated lack of speed, since this is where I work, I guess I'm here to work, don't you think? Right, yes, but given the circumstances, I think we all assumed that perhaps you would be... I'm sorry, I can't hear you, Margaret, the someone else said. Oh, Margaret stated before speaking just a whisper louder. I was saying that I think we all thought, given the circumstances, that perhaps it would be better. You're going to have to speak louder, Margaret. Perhaps it would be better. Still can't hear you. It would be better if louder, Margaret. I think you should go home, Sienna, Margaret yelled. Sienna waited silently in fear for the outburst that was sure to come from the someone else. Instead, she just said, No, I don't think so, and walked towards the elevators. Margaret hurried after her. Sienna, I really think it would be for the best, she said as the someone else pushed the up button. Why don't you let me decide what's best, okay? Margaret took a deep breath and it was clear to Sienna that her usual unflappable nature was beginning to get flapped. Look... Sienna, I understand that you think you know what's best, but it's clear simply by the way you're choosing to talk to me that you're not yourself today. Sienna's ears pricked up, or would have had she had access to her ears. Did Margaret know? Surely not. I want to help, Margaret continued, and I think the best way to do that is to let you go home until you feel like yourself again. If anything, I insist. Wow, the someone else said, and Sienna felt a small thrill of joy at the response. This someone else was going to be reasonable after all. This elevator is somehow even slower than you are, she finished. With a ding, the doors opened. The someone else stepped through, pressed her floor number, and turned around to face the shocked older woman. 
Sienna felt that someone else twist her face into one final act of defiance by smirking victoriously as the doors began to close. Margaret's palms slammed against one of the doors, halting their movement, and Sienna saw a side of her boss she had never seen before. She was red-faced and steely-eyed. Her bulk no longer seemed soft but powerful as she forced the elevator doors back open. I told you, I insist you go home, Margaret said, her voice still soft and slow as she stepped into the elevator. Which means it's not a request, but an order. The someone else gasped as Margaret's hand pressed forcefully into her back, moving her out into the foyer with the certainty of a steamroller. A final soft shove finished the job. With a kind of voice, Margaret said, I understand you're in a bad way but this isn't the place for you right now. Take however long you need, and we'll pretend none of this ever happened. Come back when you're yourself again, okay? Feel better, Sienna. The someone else huffed with embarrassment and left the building. This second someone else kept control of Sienna's body for three more weeks after that incident. She never stopped being angry, and the longer she remained in control, the angrier the actual Sienna felt too. It was as if all the bitterness and resentment that someone else had was dripping down into the hole Sienna retained inside herself, pooling around her, slowly seeping in until it was all she could feel and see and taste. It didn't help any of her relationships either. Various friends, family and co-workers who tried to reach out to Sienna following the work incident had been rudely and painfully rebuffed for their kindness. Often, the someone else would wickedly and artfully spear them with insults, aiming for their most vulnerable spots using knowledge she must have gleamed from Sienna's mind. Robin had fled, or at least Sienna presumed he had, as he hadn't been back to the house for some time now. She knew she should be worried, but in a way she was glad. Best he stay away until she sorted this out. Her poor mother got it the worst of all. After numerous phone calls, texts, and an email that were all ignored, or responded to disdainfully by the someone else, Sienna's mother had driven the three hours to her apartment to check on her. The someone else had made her mother cry. Sienna was furious about that. She had said the most horrid things about her mother that Sienna had ever heard. Things that should have never been said and definitely weren't worth repeating. None of the things that someone else said were true, of course, but some were close enough to the truth that they managed to hit the secret fears and shames her mother carried. The outcome was that, while Sienna's mother is a very good mother, she was made to feel like a bad one. The older woman held strong against the verbal abuse for as long as she could, but eventually the tears had come. Sienna cried with her from inside herself, and hoped that one day her mother would be able to forgive her. She was alone after that. Alone except for the someone else and her anger. Sienna chose to spend her time spitting venom at her resident body snatcher, coming up with the most vile threats and insults she could think of to try and elicit a response or a fight or a battle or some way that someone else would expose herself so Sienna could attack and perhaps regain her body. She never did, though. The someone else just spent all her time feeling bitter and sorry for herself, snapping at anyone foolish enough to approach them, and then at inanimate objects after that. Sienna hated her. Hated that her own body could do and say such awful things. Hated that there was nothing she could do other than wait it out. The waiting eventually paid off. After a night spent listening to the someone else beat at her pillows because she couldn't fall asleep, Sienna woke to find her gone, and a third someone else in her place. Hello, she said to the newcomer, although she had no reason to think this one could hear her any more than the others had. I'm Sienna, although you probably already know that. As expected, she got no response. 
She was, however, able to at least get a sense of her latest conductor, and was relieved to find her exceedingly less angry. She seemed like someone hopeful, although with a hint of desperation. Because of this, Sienna tried to bargain with her even though she knew it was unlikely she could be heard. But what harm could it do? If this someone else had hope, then Sienna could hope too. Hope that somehow she would be heard and finally end this madness. So, I know you probably can't hear me, and if you can, you probably won't respond, but could you please give me my body back? She waited a beat for some sign of recognition, but got nothing. Instead, the new someone else threw off the covers and stood. It's just that I've not had control of my body for a while now, and I'm really starting to miss it. Please, I'll give you anything. The someone else walked in front of the mirrored door of Sienna's wardrobe and checked herself out. Sienna noted that she had lost weight. The second someone else hadn't been a fan of eating. Honestly, just tell me what it is you want, and if I can, I'll make it happen. You must want something. The doorbell rang, and the someone else turned toward the sound. She put on a pair of Sienna's jeans and hurried to answer it. It was her mother. She stayed in the doorway and looked resolutely at her daughter. Sienna was happy to see her, but worried about the repercussions of her last visit. If she'd had control of her body, she would have already wrapped her tightly in her arms and begged forgiveness. Hello, Sienna, her mother said, her voice flat. I know you'd prefer I leave you alone, and I've tried to give you that space. However, you're my daughter, and I've decided I'm not going to leave you to suffer by yourself no matter how much you try to push me away. Sienna's mother came in, stepping over the torn electricity bill, and walked past her into the living room. She sat on one of the couches. The someone else followed her, continuing to stand. Have you been since... last time? Sienna heard her mother ask stiffly. Fine. Good. Why? The someone else replied. Because you don't look fine. All good. You hardly even resemble the daughter I used to know. I don't want to hear this, Mum. The someone else sighed. I'm worried about you. You're clearly not looking after yourself. I said I'm fine. I'm more than fine. You want me to eat something? Fine, I will. But if you eat some toast or whatever, you have to let this drop. I will. But I want us to talk first. Sit down, please. The someone else sat next to the older woman with an obvious show of reluctance. Sienna's mother looked into her eyes and took a deep breath. We need to talk about... No, the someone else said, cutting her off. She took another deep breath and tried again. Sienna, I know it's hard, but... No, no, I don't want to, the someone else said. You have to. Sienna was overcome as she heard her mother's voice tremble. I'm sorry, but I'm not leaving here until we talk... Please don't, don't say it. We'll talk about something else, anything else. Tears welled up in the someone else's eyes. Sienna, don't. You can't keep pretending it didn't happen. Stop. Stop. Please. I'll give you anything. I'll do anything. Just don't say it. Please. For me. Please. Don't say it. Robin died, love, and you need to accept that. The someone else broke and Sienna broke with her. In the small part of her mind she was hiding in, Sienna spun, confused and wild, temporarily disconnected from anything except for the insane, aching loss as it all came crashing back in. The cancer had been found after Robin started having problems with his vision. Sienna had simply assumed he needed a new prescription for his glasses, but after a visit to the optometrist and learning that his eyes were fine, other than still retaining their usual level of myopia, it was clear something else was wrong, as much as Sienna wanted to deny it. The doctor had found the tumour quickly, and after some gentle probing, Robin admitted he'd been having headaches for a while now, but thought it was due to being overworked. Sienna was angry at first, angry at Robin for not getting himself checked sooner, angry at the doctor for finding something wrong, angry at herself for being angry. 
Robin was much more rational. He calmed her down and confidently told her that it would be all right. They would remove it and everything would be okay. And they had. As Robin had predicted, it went well, as well as brain surgery can go. He had some difficulties controlling the left side of his body, but they told him with rehabilitation he should be okay. Less than a year later, he was back to normal. Then the tumour had started growing again. The day they found out was the first and only time Sienna had ever seen Robin get truly angry. As he took in the news, his face lost its usual easy smile and scrunched into an unpracticed grimace of rage and frustration. Sienna only had to look at that expression for a moment before she was bargaining with the doctor for options and alternatives, to do something, anything to make that look on his face and the cancer that caused it go away. But they were out of options, out of alternatives, and the cancer had started spreading to other parts of his body. Robin, always a positive realist, eventually accepted the diagnosis and insisted he and Sienna make the most of whatever time they had left. They had travelled to Norway and taken a silly photo under the northern lights. He had seemed so healthy during that time that it was easier for Sienna to forget that anything was wrong, that his own body had turned against him and was slowly betraying him in the worst way possible. He proposed to her on the edge of a frozen sea, apologising as he did so. She wept as she said yes, her tears a combination of joy and torment. Robin hadn't made it to the wedding. As soon as they returned home, he had started deteriorating, and the doctors had told her to make him as comfortable as possible. Within a month... He was gone. When Sienna's eyes opened, not by her, but by yet another new someone else, she saw through her tears that she had collapsed into her mother's lap and that her mother was gently stroking her head. The third someone else was gone, seeming to have fled with the awful revelation, and a fourth someone else had now taken over. Sienna was unresponsive to this, being, if anything, even further back within her mind. After that day, Sienna's mother had moved into the spare bedroom to ensure she was taken care of, which was fortunate because the latest driver of the Sienna train wasn't up to the task. She was somehow even worse than the angry someone else, and spent most of each day asleep or watching bad television in a state not dissimilar from sleep. When Sienna's mother tried to encourage her to go for a walk or have a shower or do anything that involved her moving from the bed or couch, she was lucky to get a grunt or a groan from this latest someone else who was too apathetic to speak. She simply didn't do anything, didn't feel anything. At least the angry someone else had felt something, but this one seemed unable to even bring herself to cry. Sienna didn't care. She didn't notice. She buried herself so far back into her own mind that she barely registered what the someone else was doing. Every day she moved a little bit further back into the dark place inside herself, and every day she got a little bit smaller. Sienna no longer had concerns for the outcome of her body. What was the point? Why bother with it anymore? As far as Sienna was concerned, the someone else, or the someone else's, could have her body. She was done with it. And that's exactly what happened. Sienna retreated so far inside herself that she disappeared entirely. As Sienna lost contact with her body, the encroaching black that had been growing ever denser and darker over the last few weeks changed in an instant to an expanse of white. She tried to peer forward into the stark void, but couldn't. Sienna figured she'd either become blind or there was simply nothing in that endless arena to see. Instead, she attempted to use a different sense to navigate her way forward, but found when she put her hands in front of herself that she had no hands, or arms, or form of any kind, or sense of perception or direction or any sort of physical sensation. She was as lost and adrift as a dove's feather in a snowstorm. Sienna hung, blind, deaf and dumb in that blank space, 
nothing more than a last ember of consciousness and self. With little else to do, she thought. She thought of Robin. She thought of that awful period during which he was sick and dying that she had so thoroughly wiped from her mind. She thought of his funeral the day before the first someone else arrived, how there were so many tears for the man she had come to think of as part of her. She thought of the words people had said to her that day, things like how fortunate it was that he'd had that last year to travel, and how lucky they were to have known him, and how he managed to achieve so much in a short time. Words designed to cover and soothe the loss of his presence and life. To Sienna, they seemed an attempt to forget him, to move past the period of their lives where he existed as quickly as possible. She didn't want to forget him. Not that a live version, her version, and now lost in this place, Sienna didn't see why she should ever have to. A moment from their past bubbled up in whatever was left of her mind. It was a time before they had known about Robin's illness. Nothing momentous, just a small, quiet breath of their life together when they had lived in their first apartment. Around Sienna in that vacuum of white space, the lounge room of that apartment slowly formed. First, the couch, which was a hand-me-down of a hand-me-down and should have belonged in hard rubbish rather than in their living room. Then, the stained rug with an iron imprint melted into one corner from the time Sienna had thought to iron their clothes on the ground but hadn't considered just how synthetic and prone to melting it was. After that, the coffee table that had come from Robin's parents and that was desperately in need of a sand and a fresh coat of varnish. Then the cracked walls that they had covered with artwork and photos. And finally, Sienna saw herself sitting on the old couch, busily working on something on her laptop. With anticipation and dread, she knew what was going to happen next. Robin walked in the front door. Sienna wanted to go to him, but she had no legs. She wanted to touch him, but she had no hands. Instead, she watched as the memory played out. Good news, he said excitedly. We got an electricity bill. This had become his general announcement every time they got a bill. Past Sienna looked up at him distractedly from the couch. How is that good news? She heard herself ask. How is that not good news? He asked. Because we're poor, she replied. Not so poor that we can't pay this bill, which you could argue makes us very rich. Sienna watched her past self roll her eyes. Not only that, but it also means that we've used, he looked at the bill, 372 kilowatts of energy. Think of all the great things we've done with that electricity. Past her had had enough of his exuberance and returned her attention to the laptop. Robin pushed on. We've used it to cook feasts, listen to music, learn new things. She wasn't biting, so he plopped himself down on the couch beside her and held the bill in front of her face. Without all these kilowatts, you wouldn't be able to complete that assignment you're working on right now, which is allowing you to ignore me so thoroughly. She laughed in spite of herself and looked up into his eyes. It's a bill, she exclaimed. No, it's so much more than that. He put his arm around her, purposely patronising. It's a record of all the amazing things we've done. It's a notice proclaiming that Sienna and Robin were not quiet for the months of April to June 2014. They were growing and working and existing. Why, it is nothing less than a quarterly reminder that we're still alive. The scene froze on his final word. Robin's face was lit up in the theatre of acting out his bit and she saw a look on her own face that spoke of begrudging amusement and love. In a blink, it all disappeared. If she'd had a body, it would have been shaking. Another memory assailed her and a hospital room grew from the nothingness. Robin lay in a bed. His head was shaved and stitches were threaded down one side of it. Parsiana entered the room and Robin looked at her. I have good news, she said. We got an electricity bill. 
A lopsided smile climbed his face, the first following his surgery. I guess we're still alive then, he said. The scene froze and disappeared. A new one took its place. She and Robin were sitting on a hilltop in Norway. The view was spectacular. Emerald green strips of land intercut with shining sapphire fjords, backdropped by an awe-inspiring mountain range. Sienna was crying, and Robin had his arm around her. At least I won't have to worry about paying those electricity bills anymore, he said in a failed attempt at levity. The scene froze and disappeared, replaced by another as the memories rolled on. Sienna stood in the hallway of their home, an electricity bill in her hands. It was too much. She dropped it to the floor. The scene froze. Sienna looked into the grief-stricken face of that past her and felt an intense desire to hug herself. But it all disappeared. From somewhere far away, Sienna felt a new someone else take possession of her body. She was surprised. Not just that the procession of body snatchers continued, but also that she was still aware of the activity, even as far away as she currently was. Then she heard a voice. Sienna? The voice said. It was crystalline and rang in the space around her, vibrating through whatever small form she retained. It calmed her. Yes, she thought, unable to talk without a mouth. It seemed to be enough, as the newest someone else quickly responded. Ah, there you are, she said, and Sienna could hear the smile in her voice. My my, you are far away, aren't you? Well, that's why we're here. Who are you? Sienna thought towards the voice. That's kind of a tough question to answer, the someone else responded. Our identities, they're not exactly fixed. What are you? Sienna asked. Now that's a better question. We are a necessity. One that came into being much the same time you did. Me? Sienna asked. Yes, well, you and the rest of the sentient life. The ones capable of grief, anyway. We're birthed through need, you see. Need is a very powerful force, and grief is a very necessary need. But sometimes people have trouble with it. They aren't able to process the grief themselves or don't want to, and so the need grows. When it grows too strong, that's when we come in. And take over their bodies? Sienna asked with a drop of venom. That's right, the someone else replied cheerily. It's that, or the need grows so great that it starts to eat away at the person from the inside. Some get sick, others lose touch with reality, and others simply disconnect from everything. Kind of like what you've done. Sienna noted the endless void around her and found that last statement hard to argue. It's still rude to just take over people's bodies without asking, Sienna said. Maybe so, but it's not like we have a choice in the matter. We're as much a slave to our needs as you are. The second one hit my boss in the head with a handbag, Sienna retorted. Like I said, she replied. Okay, but why did there have to be so many of you? Sienna asked sullenly. Oh, we all do different things. All part of the process. So what do you do? Sienna asked. The last part, she said. I remind you of all you had before and all you will have after. And I tell you what you already know. That you'll be okay. That it won't stop hurting, but that you won't really want it to because the hurt will be tied up in all the other memories and feelings and experiences. Connected to them in a way that feels right. Always a loss. Also always a loss worth having, given everything. Sienna understood, and even had the perfect metaphor. It's the electricity bill, she said. She could once more hear the smile in the someone else's voice. Exactly. Sienna woke the next morning as someone else. Not a someone else, she was entirely Sienna again, full possession of her own limbs and everything, but she had changed from the person she was before this had all started. The new her was much the same as the old her, but stronger in ways she didn't even know she could be strong. 
It was like she had done some new exercise that required using muscles she'd never used before, and now they were sore, but adapting well to the unfamiliar pressures put upon them. As a whole, Sienna felt sore. The wound of Robin's loss was still raw, nestled away somewhere inside her, painful and throbbing, but she could bear it. And, in truth, it was part of her, at least as much as the rest of him had been. The first thing she did was hug her mother. Sienna went into the spare bedroom, climbed onto the bed, and without saying anything, wrapped her arms around her. Her mother immediately returned the embrace in a way only mothers can. They lay there together for most of the morning, talking and crying and eventually laughing. The next thing she did was call Margaret and apologise, telling her she was feeling herself again. Margaret told her, slowly and softly, that she was glad to hear it, but insisted she still take a few more weeks before returning to work. Finally, Sienna moved to the hallway where she picked up the torn pieces of her electricity bill. She would need to pay it, and the next one that came along. A quarterly reminder that she was still alive. Thanks for listening to this month's short tale. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, to finish this episode off, I've recorded some afterthoughts, which detail where the idea for this story came from and any challenges I faced while writing it. If that feels too self-indulgent for your tastes, fair enough. But if that sounds like your kind of thing, then listen on. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'd forgotten about this story. I'd hoped to finish a different one and record it for this month's episode, but time and other work got the better of me, and so instead I went for a walk through my documents and found someone else. I remembered it as being a bit saccharine, a bit early rider trying for emotional depth and so reaching for the lowest of the hanging fruits, death and grief, with a pretty transparent metaphor for the five stages. And while it does contain those things, it also had more than I remembered. It is one of my earliest stories, and rereading it, I felt a kind of nostalgia for the version of me that wrote it. One with a younger mindset who tried to put as much honesty in there as he could as he scrambled for some truth, drawing heavily from my own relationship. I don't think it's subtle by any measure, but that's okay. Sometimes subtlety is overrated. Which brings me to theme. Like I said, I had forgotten this story, and so rereading it, I couldn't remember exactly what the whole electricity bill thing was about. 
It wasn't until I got to the bit with Robin and his slightly overly optimistic take on receiving a bill that I even remembered. And then I kept reading, getting to the part with the final someone else explaining everything to Sienna, specifically their purpose. And I realized I had missed a trick because not only was that part pretty heavy handed and I'll be honest, poorly written, it was also missing the point entirely. Thematically, it was all wrong. It had a couple of weak, sappy platitudes that were completely at odds with the rest of the story and didn't reference the electricity bill at all. And that's because Past Me didn't truly understand what the theme of his story was. It took the retrospective of a different me, reading it years later, to realise what I'd even set up. That the electricity bill was grief and that Robin's philosophy toward it was the answer Sienna needed. Partially that's because I've learned a lot more about story since I wrote it, but largely I think it's because that's the way it works with theme. It's an element that needs to be defined after the story is written, when you can look back at the whole thing and figure out what the hell you're even trying to say. My belief is that if you go into a story with a conscious answer about what the theme is already in your mind, then it's going to come out as preachy and heavy-handed. Instead, I think if you just write the story and then look back at it, you'll find a theme in there, one which you can strengthen on later drafts. Theme to me should start as a question, not an answer. And it doesn't even need to be a conscious one. Writing is a way of figuring stuff out, of looking for answers, both about ourselves and the world. And those answers usually come from looking back and discovering what's already there. And sometimes they can be found hidden away in a story you'd written years ago and then forgotten about. Alright, those are all my thoughts. But if you have any that you'd like to share, please do. You can write to me at shorttales.podcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at Midday Pajamas. Also, while this podcast will always be free, if you'd like to throw a few extra dollars my way, you can do so by visiting co-fi.com forward slash Damien Robb. Or you can find all the appropriate links in the episode show notes. Until next time, this has been Short Tales and I've been Damien Robb. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 